Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. How are we? Good. I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Well, I'm glad you are doing well. I am assuming by your presence here that you made it through, uh, through the storm that uh, came through. And uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, we fared fairly well at the Still household. And um, like most of you, mostly just, you know, a lot of yard debris, a lot of stuff like that. And um, uh, how many of you lost power? Just survey. Survey says, okay. Yeah, we did for about, I don't know, six or seven hours, something like that. And um, so uh, because this storm was on its way, uh, I made the decision that I wanted to change where we were going. So we're not going to be in the Sermon on the Mount today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. So if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 14, that's where we're going to be. Um, before I start into the message, I do want to uh, announce something officially. Uh, you know, God willing, we are going to do beach baptisms next Sunday, 4.30 p.m. at Folly Beach. And right now we have somewhere in the neighborhood between 11 and 14 people. Uh, to get baptized. And yeah, praise God. Yes, 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 yes. That's, that is definitely something worthy of celebrating. So I, I hope you will make plans to do that. We're going to be at the county park area. I'll send something out that gives more specific details. Right now I'm thinking we're going to head to the south end. We may go to the north. I don't know what we're going to do yet, but we're, we're going to Folly Beach County Park. That's where we're going to do uh, baptism. Um, we're probably going to take a moment and pray together, probably sing something together, uh, share in God's word very, very briefly together. Let the folks who are being baptized tell you uh, that they've prayed to receive Christ and have trusted Jesus as their own personal Lord, and then we're going to get wet. Pray because the water temperature is dropping. Okay? Just so you know. So we need to, we need to get this done quick. Okay. Uh, that's it for the announcements. Um, again, I, I felt compelled because of this, this storm that was had hit, you know, hitting Florida and was coming uh, here potentially um, when I made the decision to uh, step out of our sermon series and, and just address this issue of what do you do when the winds and the waters are raging and rising? What, what, what do God's people do? Now, the context of what we're going to look at in Matthew 14, uh, this uh, will follow right after a great miracle uh, that Jesus had performed, the feeding of what the Bible says 5,000 men and we know more than likely that was probably 15,000 plus when you add in women and children. So there was this miraculous feeding with just a, a few fish and a few loaves of bread that a little boy shared with Jesus. Jesus multiplied it, fed 15,000 plus people, and uh, later they, they collected 12 baskets of leftovers. Anybody like leftover night? I am a leftover night fan. I, I think leftovers are marvelous because I like lots of different flavors. So last night, I had Mexican and Italian leftovers. It was great. Just a, 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 a palatable feast in my mouth. And um, so anyway, they had leftovers, you know, 12 baskets of leftovers. And uh, somebody probably got to, to eat those later. I don't know about that. But here's what happened. Immediately after that miracle, people decided to make Jesus king. 
They wanted a coronation right then. They wanted to start a war, run the Romans out, make Jesus their king. Anybody who could take, you know, a couple of loaves of bread, a couple of fish, and feed 15,000 plus people, that needs to be king, you know, because they were looking for something like that. And so they, they wanted to make Jesus king. And that's where we pick up the biblical account, that moment where they want to make Jesus king. And I want us to read starting in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. Now that you got the context, and I will get my, myself there. God's word says this, immediately, okay, immediately. They're trying to make Jesus king. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Now, let me tell you something. Um, the gospel of Mark and the gospel of John also uh, uh, record this account and report on it. They give us some different details. We know, I think it's from John, that they were told to go to Capernaum. So they're really going across the lake here. Um, it said that they went to, where he told them to get in the boat, go to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus is saying, none of this king stuff, go home. Okay? Um, verse 23. And after he had dismissed his crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But... It's a big butt right here. Notice this. But the boat by this time was a long way from land. They didn't really want to be a long way from land. They didn't need to get a long way from land to go where they were going. They could have just gone up the coast, which would normally would have been what they did. But they were a long way from land, and they were being beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he, being Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. So a, a storm comes up. Not a teeny tiny storm. A very serious storm. Hurricane forced winds on this little lake. Now because of the topography of that region uh, of, of the planet around Sea of Galilee, these storms are not uncommon. In fact, you can go check on this. Back in May 14th, 15th of this year, a storm hit the Sea of Galilee, causing about $55 million worth of damage to Tiberias. Winds clocked at 85 miles an hour. Hurricane force winds on this, on this lake uh, in Galilee. So those things, those are common. Those, those happen. They still happen in our day. So what's going on in this account that uh, Mark and John and Matthew record? Jesus intentionally sends his disciples into a storm. Jesus knows there's going to be a storm. He, he, he knows this because he knows everything. But he has something that they need to learn. 
about him. There's something that they're still missing on this journey of being the ones he turns over the kingdom of God on earth to. The, the, the ministry and the work of Jesus. And they're about to learn a, a, a lesson. So what do you do when you find yourself in life in the place like the disciples where you feel like the winds of life are blowing hard against you and the waves are overwhelming you, overcoming you? What do you do when you're being defeated by those things? How do you trust God in those moments? And I want us to look at that today because it's not just those name storms that come through weather, but we all have name storms in our, our own lives, storms that cause us to get overwhelmed. And I want to blow through real quickly here five uh, feelings that we, we see from the accounts in the gospel that the disciples experience, that we too experience when we're feeling overwhelmed by a, a storm. Here's the first one. Overwhelming feelings come when we can't see our way clearly, when we're not able to see, when we just feel like we're in the dark. Uh, someone shared with me right after the last service, they were, they were without power for 20 hours. So, you know, they experience darkness. Um, if you're in a house without lights, you know, it gets really dark, you know, not, not being able to see your hand in front of your face. That's the kind of darkness these guys were in in this storm. It, it was dark at night at this time, and, and they, were, they were just, you know, in this crazy, crazy storm. They didn't have vision for where they were trying to head. Confusion set in. And in fact, in John 6, it, it tells us this, that um, it says in John 6, uh, 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, started across the sea to Capernaum, and then it says it was now dark. They were out there in a storm in total darkness. Not being able to see where they were going. Not being able to, 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 to know what was about to come. Maybe not even be able to see the next wave. Friends, one of the first characteristics that overwhelm us in a storm is not being able to see our way clearly. The second overwhelming feeling that we see from this account that came on the disciples that we're experiencing uh, at, at times is this. Overwhelming feelings come when we think we're on our own. When I feel alone. When I feel like I'm rowing against the storm and I'm all by myself that nobody is helping me I don't know where God is I feel like you know he's not with me in the boat in John chapter 6 verse 17 it tells us it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them they they were cognitively aware that they were in a storm Jesus wasn't in a boat now they had been in a storm before with Jesus in a boat things turned out good now they're in a storm without Jesus in the boat and they're not sure what's going to happen so fear is rising, these feelings of being overwhelmed. Third, we see that overwhelming feelings sometimes come to us when we're out of our comfort zone. When we get out of our comfort zone, when we start feeling a little insecure. Mark's recording of this in Mark chapter 6, verse 47, tells us that the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. Now, when you're in the middle of a lake, you're as far away from shore as you can possibly be. When you're smack dab in the middle of something like that. And again, this lake is not a little lake. This is a sea of Galilee. It's pretty massive. Matthew chapter 14, verse 24 tells us that the boat by this time was a long way from land. This wasn't one of those places in the, in the, the sea that they were going to be able to say, well, we'll just scuttle the boat and swim to, to shore. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of a storm, and it feels like we're a long way from shore. And for some right now, it may be the recession that we're in. 
You, you may feel like you're being pounded and blown off course because of the recession. Or it may be a conflict, a relational conflict. Maybe, it, maybe at home. Maybe between a parent and a child or between uh, spouses. And you feel blown off course because of that. And when those things happen, we get out of our comfort zone. We, we begin to see fear rising and emotions rising. We start to feel overwhelmed because we're not in a place of comfort. A fourth way that we see overwhelming, overwhelming feelings showing up uh, in this account is we get uh, experience overwhelming feelings when uh, we encounter forces that are coming against us. Strong forces that may batter us and beat us in, down in this life, feeling these external forces standing against us. Matthew 14, 24 tells us that beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. They, have you ever felt beaten? Just beaten by the winds of life that come at you? You know, hurricane force winds sometimes. It may be a, an illness that you're being tossed about right now. It may be something financial that just that it is beating you down. John, John 16, 18 tells us that the sea had become rough. Well, the language that's used here in, in several of the gospel accounts is it, it describes the storm as being a mega storm. It, this was a big storm, not a little storm. It's, it's this idea of something gigantic. The storm was raging. Now, we talked about, you know, this the storms that come on the Sea of Galilee, not an uncommon thing. And storms in our lives are not uncommon either. It is a common thing for all of us to, to face storms. And so right now, I imagine that in this room, there are lots of people who are feeling like they're in a storm. Maybe it's a, a storm uh, uh, in marriage. Maybe it's a storm at, at work. Maybe it's a storm because you're out of work and you're begging God to to help you in this storm find a job. Maybe, maybe it's sleepless nights because you're in a storm of, of worry, something, something like that. So when the wind is raging and the water is rising in your life because you can't see what's coming, you feel like you're on your own, you're out of your comfort zone, and you feel like external forces are just beating you down or against you, what can you do? Last feeling that comes is we often feel overwhelmed when we struggle but continue to fail. When we struggle and we're, we're not getting anywhere, when we're doing our best, straining even, struggling, rowing as hard as you can but not, not moving forward. Mark 6, 48 tells us that the disciples, they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. You feel like that today? You feel like there are places in your life where you were rowing as hard as you know how with all your might. And not only do you feel like you're not moving forward, you feel like you're being blown backwards. You feel like there, you, you, you just kind of can't get out of this trouble, not making any, any forward progress. You've been trying. You know, you went to see a marriage counselor, but things still haven't, haven't turned you went to that doctor thinking that you were going to find some, some help at this new physician's office, and they just continued to tell you the same bad news. A problem that you're facing that you just can't seem to break through, and you're struggling, being pushed backwards. So what does God want you to do in that situation? Maybe more importantly than that question is the question, what is God 
doing in that situation, when I, when I feel like I, I can't overcome this, when I feel like there's, everything is against me, well, there are four things that I want us to look at from this encounter in God's word that God is doing and that God has, has said he would do. They're, they're illustrated in this biblical account in a very clear way. When life is, when we're overwhelmed by life storms, what's God doing? Well, here's the first thing that we see from, from this account in the, in the Gospels. First of all, Jesus prays for us before our storm hits. Jesus is praying for us before the storm ever hits. Jesus is praying for you. And we read this earlier in Matthew, but I want you to look at it in Mark's account too. Uh, Mark 6, it says, afterwards, after he dismissed the people, Jesus went up into the hills to pray. As the disciples in their boat were out in the middle of the lake, he saw that they were in serious trouble. Friends, most of the time when we're going through life's difficulties and pressures and those kinds of things, most often, it is because of something we've done. Most of the problems that you and I face are, are, are self-imposed. We've sinned in some way, and we're paying, you know, the consequences. But sometimes, sometimes, you're right in the middle of God's will, and you're facing storms. Sometimes that's, that's just the truth. Had the disciples decided, hey, we want to go for a boat ride, is that how they ended up in the boat? No. They ended up in the boat because Jesus said, get in the boat. Go from here to there. They were in the middle of God's will. They were doing what Jesus had said, and yet they were encountering, uh, encountering this storm of epic proportion, and they feared for their lives. If you're familiar with the, the life of a man named Job, the, the book of Job, we, we read about this, this man who was, as the Bible says, uh, he was blameless in the sight of God. And he encounters like a storm in his life that is, is just so totally epic. In just a couple of days, he loses all his wealth. He loses every member of his family except his wife. He loses his reputation. He loses uh, most aspects of his wealth in just a matter of days. And Job had no idea why all this was raining down on him. The Bible tells us he had not done anything wrong. Nothing wrong. And yet the worst possible conditions come. This storm comes on Job. It's not going to come up on the screen, but you may want to write it down, look it up later, Job 19.8. Here's how Job describes what he's experienced, Job 19.8. God has blocked my way and plunged my path into darkness. Have you ever felt like that? Like God was against you? Like God was, was doing something to you and you just didn't, didn't understand? Job experienced that. I imagine the disciples are trying to figure out, Jesus, we're doing what you told us. Why are we going through this? You know, sometimes in this life, people have storms of, uh, of things. You know, people, some people have, in our own church have had a storm where they had longed to have a child and for some reason couldn't yet. Others who long to have a marriage. Others who have a marriage, they wanted to get better. All, all, all these storms. A dream that you have, but you never quite achieve it. And at times, you may sense or feel 
like God is blocking your way. That he's, he's doing that. Friend, the, the, the storms that we all go through, many of them, especially those that you're standing in while you're in the will of God, you will not know why you're in it until heaven. Now, we, here's what we think. We think God owes us an explanation. He does not. And oftentimes in those moments, he will not give you an explanation. Because what God is doing, he's at work trying to strengthen your faith in him. To draw you closer to himself. He's wanting you to live by faith, not by sight. And an explanation is not going to help that. He's longing for you to do this. But here's what you can always know. If you're a child of God, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can always know that even before the storm that you're in has hit, Jesus has prayed for you. He, he has prayed for you. Now, friends, I love it when you pray for me. I do. I thank God for those of you who pray for me. I, you, you tell me you do. I believe you do. There are times I feel it. And I know you love it when people are praying for you. When somebody, somebody texts you or calls you and says, Hey, Holy Spirit just put you on my heart today and I'm, I'm praying for you. And those are cool and wonderful things and please don't quit. But friends, there is nothing like having Jesus pray for you. And here's why. God may not always answer my prayer. And God may not always answer your prayer, but when Jesus prays, the answer is yes. It's yes. And the Bible tells us that Jesus prays for us before the storm hits. Jesus is praying for, for us. You, you remember the, uh, on the night before Jesus was to go to the cross. He was in the upper room with the, the 12 disciples, and uh, Peter gets a little boastful. Jesus has said, hey, I got some bad news for you. Here's what's going to happen. Jesus said, I mean, Peter says, Jesus, I'll never forsake you. I'll die with you. And Jesus says, Peter, here's the bad news, dude. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Just this day, you're going to deny me three times. And then he says, but Peter, in Luke chapter two, uh, 22, verse 32, Jesus goes on to say, but I have prayed for you. Jesus prayed for Peter before the storm hit. Before those three denials and, and the sorrow that swept over Peter. Before that storm of sorrow hit, Jesus had prayed for Peter. He'd already prayed for him. See, the point is, Jesus has already prayed for whatever it is you're going through right now. Whatever you're facing. Whatever difficulty, whatever challenge, whatever sorrow, whatever health concern that you are facing, Jesus has already prayed for you. That's who he is and what he does. Romans chapter 8. If you haven't read Romans chapter 8 lately, let me encourage you to do that. Read it slowly, meditatively, think about what it says. But in Romans chapter 8, it talks about things that we're going through, maybe temptation or, or failing and, and, and dealing with a faith issue. And, and it says in verse 34 of Romans chapter 8, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed, not, not sometimes, this is like indeed, he is interceding for us. Don't quit praying for me. And as much as you do, I'm still more grateful that Jesus is praying for me. And you should be as well. Nothing, nothing better than Jesus praying for you. And he's doing that. 
before you hit the storm that you're in. Second thing that Jesus does, Jesus, Jesus notices our struggle right when we're in the middle of it. He notices it. He sees it. He prays for us before it happens, but he notices us in the middle of it. Mark chapter 6 again, verse 48 says, He saw the disciples straining at the oars. He saw the disciples struggling to do his will. He sees you struggling to do his will too. He sees you struggling to be faithful. He he sees where your struggle is. Now, the disciples were clueless that he saw them. They they didn't see that, and they got afraid. Friends, often the thing that uh, overwhelms us is the thought that I'm in the middle of this mess and I don't see God seeing me. I don't see the activity of God. The disciples were right there. God, do you even know what's going on? Jesus, do you you see? I'm out here on my own. I'm in the dark. The wind is raging. The waters are rising. Friends, God pays attention to every, every single detail of your life. He knows which of you forgot to brush your teeth before you came to church and you have bad breath right now. He knows. He, he, he sees, he, he knows these things. He, he knows their, your, your heartache. He, he knows who had a sleepless night because of something they're anxious about. He knows when you have an upset stomach or when you have an upset mind. He he sees all of those details. The Bible tells us that he's numbered the hairs on our head. And for some, he doesn't have to count long. Others, maybe a little more. You know? That's just, he he, he sees and knows. Again, from the book of Job, not going to come up on the screen, but Job's experience, Job 31.4, Job has kind of come through the storm. He's not on the backside of it yet completely. But one of the things that he learns, Job uh, 31.4 says, he sees everything I do and counts every step I take. In the midst of his storm, Job began to realize that, that God sees and, and that God knows what's going on, every, every single detail, and that he cares, he's paying attention. Friends, not only does Jesus see, you know, when you're going through your storm, whether it's, it's about your place of business, or maybe it has to do with debt that you're in, or, or, or some conflict that you're in. Not only does he sees, but Jesus, as God, has the capacity to sympathize with what he sees you going through. He sees, he pays attention, and, and he's, uh, he has this ability to sympathize. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, there's this great uh, kind of message about we have a better high priest than the Old Testament high priest. And that, that high priest is Jesus. And one of the, one of the things it, it raises up, why Jesus is better, is it says we have a superior chief priest. That person is Jesus, uh, the Son of God, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way that we are and yet was without sin. See, Jesus can sympathize with the storm you're going through right now because Jesus has been through it. He's been through the storm. God God became a human being. God, God came to earth and his name was Jesus and he lived as a human being. And, and so Jesus is going like, you got a problem right now? 
I've been there, done that. Got the t-shirt. Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows what it's like to be exhausted or frustrated or criticized or confused. He, he knows all those things. He, he knows what, it, what it's like to have darkness all around you. He knows what it's like to face overwhelming temptation. And because of this, he can sympathize with the storm that you're currently in. So when you talk to God about your storm, don't think that he's not seeing you. Don't think that he's unsympathetic because Jesus sympathizes with us. He sees us and he sympathizes with us. He knows your suffering. He's been there. So he comes near to us because of that. He prays for you before it happens. He sees you in your storm. Third thing that Jesus does is Jesus comes to us. After he notices us, he comes to us while we're in the storm. And he normally shows up right at our greatest moment of desperation. Just at that point of great desperation. Just at that point where we're ready to, to give up. Matthew chapter 14 verse 24 says, In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now that verse is filled with all kinds of images and, and we need to unpack it for a second. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 and 6 a.m. What some people would say is the darkest part of the night. The darkest, deepest part of the night. And, and remember, a storm, hurricane-force winds on, on the lake are, are blowing somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning. These guys, these guys have been fighting this storm now for about nine hours. If you think about when Jesus told them to go get in the boat, and you think about it's now, it's between 3 and 6 a.m., somewhere around the nine-hour mark, these guys are exhausted. They've been rowing hard. They've been trying to do the will of God, but they're exhausted. I also, I would be, I'd be a little frustrated with Jesus because I'm thinking, dude, I know why you didn't get in the boat. You knew the storm was coming. Why, 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 why'd you send us out here? You ever felt like that? Felt like you had a dream that God may have given you and you start heading that way and then a train wreck comes. Storm just blows things over and you get to the place where you say, I can't make it. You, you know, you took Dave Ramsey and you started down that pathway of getting out of debt and everything just kind of came against that process. And you don't know if you're going to survive. You're not making any progress. For some of you, that describes your life right now because I've had conversations with you. For some of you, it's health-related, just as health-related struggle. For some of you, it's relationally-related. It's related to some relationship, maybe a, a parent and child where things have just gone off the rails. I, I, I prayed with a grandmother right after our first service. Their relationship is, they're struggling. It's all those kinds of things. And you start to feel overwhelmed and you start feeling like you're giving up, that you've been working and struggling and now you're at this moment of desperation. What does Jesus do? Fourth watch of the night, baby. Fourth watch of the night. Deepest darkness, Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And please notice when he comes, when he shows up, what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, shout from the shore, hey guys, come on over here. You know, they, they, they can't get there. See, when you're at your point of deepest darkness, Jesus comes to you. Man, what a God. What, what, what a God. Because he knows I can't get to him. You can't get to him on your own strength. So he, he comes to you. 
He doesn't stand on the shore like a coach shouting instructions from the sidelines. Jesus comes and gets in the game. He went to where they were. He intervened in their storms. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. He left heaven. He came to earth. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He, he, he opens the kingdom of God to any and everyone who will come in. He sees you in your storm and he comes right to you. He doesn't bark out instructions hoping you'll figure it out. He steps into your despair. He steps into your depression. He steps into your fears and your anxieties. He comes right there. In those moments when you feel abandoned, you, you are not. In John chapter 14, verse 18, this would be a great uh, verse to memorize and think about. I love the way the Living Bible translates this. It says, Jesus said, I will not abandon you or leave you as orphans in the storm. I will come to you. That moment of desperation, he comes. And I love the way that he comes. This is so cool. He comes walking on the water. You know what the water represents? The thing that the disciples were most afraid of. In that moment, it was their greatest enemy. In that moment, it was their greatest struggle with the, 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 the wind and the waves. Jesus just comes walking on it. Friends, whatever it is that you are fearing, whatever it is is your storm, Jesus is walking all on it. He's walking all over it. Here's, what, here's the image that this, this gives us. is the thing that we think is over our head that we can't handle. It's under Jesus' feet. He's walking on top of it. He is in control. He has authority over that. We do not have to give up. We don't have to, to live in despair. Jesus is walking, stomping on that thing, which you feel like you can't win. Jesus is there. Next thing that we see about Jesus in the storm that he does is Jesus reveals who he is in the storm. We get to see the part, the identity of Jesus that we will see no other way than when we're in a storm, in a storm of life. See, he wants his disciples to not just see him as a really smart teacher. He wants his disciples to see him as more than somebody who's just, you know, got a, he's moral and ethical kind of guy. He wants the disciples to be convinced that he is God, the creator of the whole universe. Now, they have seen him calm a storm before, but they still were struggling in faith. And so Jesus says, okay, we'll change the game a little bit. I ain't going to get in the boat this time. I'm not going to get in the boat. I, I'm going to teach them something about when I'm not in the boat with them because there's coming a day when I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be back in heaven. They're going to be facing the storms without me. They need to know how to do that. And so Jesus sends them out. And he wants them to know that even when he is not in the boat with them immediately, He's still Lord of all. He's the God of all creation. Look back at Matthew chapter 14. It says, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus is doing something really, really cool here. He tells them to take heart. 
He tells them, he gives them a challenge, don't be afraid. And then Jesus provides them with a reassurance. If you have your, you know, physical Bible and you, you know, circle it, if you have an electronic Bible and you highlight it, you need to highlight that phrase, it is I. Here's the, here are the Greek words right there. There are two Greek words that get translated in ESV, it is I. It's ego imi, ego or ego ima. And what that literally translates to is, I am. And so what Jesus actually says here is he says, take heart, don't be afraid, I am. Now, where would a good Hebrew have, mind have gone when Jesus said, have courage, don't be afraid, I am. You remember back in, in Exodus God has called Moses to go set his people free. And, and Moses said, okay, God, I'll, I'll go. But when I get there, who did I tell them sent me? What did God say to Moses? Tell them I am sent you. See, th this is the name for God. I, I, I am. Over 17 times in the New Testament, Jesus uses this phrase to describe himself. I am. I am the bread of life, so I can satisfy all your needs. I, I am the door. I can create opportunities for your life that you'll never access any other way. I am the vine. You can have a fruitful life if you'll stay connected to me. I am the good shepherd. You don't ever have to be afraid. I will take care of you. I am the way, so you can always have a path out of your confusion into breakthrough. I am the truth. The Bible says truth sets us free. I am the life. Every breath you take is from him. I am the resurrection. You never have to fear death. Never. He says, I am. And in your storm, when Jesus comes to you and he says, don't be afraid. Take courage. Take heart. I am. Friends, I am. Is, he's with you. You, you, don't, you don't. So often when we start hitting a rough patch, we start hitting, uh, you know, a new storm. We start thinking what we need is a plan. We need a system. You don't need a plan. You need a person. The person of Jesus. You don't need a system. You need a savior. Somebody who has the ability to save you out of your storms. That, that's what we need. All the plans in the world are not going to stop the massive winds and waves that will come against you. And just like the disciples on that day, you, you, what you need is Jesus. And friends, don't, don't forget that when you're going through a storm, God is not distant. He's not apathetic. Those are the four things that God is doing when you're facing your storm. But what do we do? I'm going to move through these real quickly. Hold on tight, okay? We're going to move through these five things quickly. What do we do when we face a storm? What's our role in this? First, Jesus tells us out of the gate, take courage. Take heart. Take, take courage. Because I'm with you. That's the starting point. Uh, Mark 6.50 says, immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I can have courage in a storm. Not because I'm all that. But because I am is with me. Not because of me, but because of him. Now remember, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is taking the next step even though I'm afraid. It's what you do even though you, you may be scared to death. That's courage. I, I want to pick on somebody for a minute. Not a person. 
a group of people. If you are a, if your parents, and you still have kids in your home, if your grandparents, th- th- this will apply to you too, because your grandkids need to see this. One of the greatest needs in our society today is for dads to demonstrate courage for moms to demonstrate courage in the face of this cultural avalanche that we are are facing. Courage to stand and say and do the right things, even when it's unpopular, even when it's scary, maybe even when it doesn't make sense in our culture. Because the only way our young people, our kids, are going to develop courage is seeing it modeled. You, you can't teach courage. Courage is only caught. You have to see somebody being courageous. If you want courageous kids, if you want kids that can stand uh, in the, the strong winds and the, 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 the rising waves of our culture, they've got to see it modeled. So they need parents and grandparents who are, who are living courageously reminding them that Jesus has prayed for them. They, they need to be taught those four things that Jesus is doing for them. He's praying for them before the storm, that he, he sees what they're going through. He sympathizes. He's coming to them in that moment. They need to know that about Jesus, and they need to be courageous. We need to be courageous. So that's step one. We take a step uh, uh, in courage. Step two is we take a step of faith. We need to take a step of faith when you're most afraid, when the waves are coming against you, you need to take a strong step of faith. In the story, that, the way that Matthew tells it, John and Mark leave it out. But in this, and that's why I chose this passage for us to read today, it tells us something about Peter. Peter walked on water too. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, Peter, Peter cries out to Jesus when he realizes Jesus has told him who he is. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said to him, come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. Uh, can you imagine the rush, the adrenaline, to, to get out of that boat and, and be walking on water and walk out there to Jesus? I mean, that nobody else... No non-deity human being ever walked on water but Jesus. But please notice what Peter does here. He, he, he kind of qualifies this statement. Lord, I, I'll come to you, but I need to know something. Jesus, is it you? He, he, he asked this. He says, Lord, if it's you, you command me to come. Here's what too many of us do. We think we, you know, have, have assessed the situation properly. We just hop out of the boat. We don't ask Jesus, Jesus, is this you? We just start jumping. And we get ourselves in trouble. And then we want to blame God and say, Jesus, where were you? I stepped out of the boat. Well, Jesus said, I didn't tell you to. It wasn't me. That was a bad burrito in your belly. Okay? Sometimes we take steps and jump, and and we don't wait to do like Peter did and identify that it's Jesus. Sometimes we're too busy wanting to God to bless our plans that we just jump in instead of doing this, instead of looking to see what God is already blessing and coming into it. See, that's what God is looking for. It's more people who will say, I will wait in the boat until I identify that it's you, and I will wait until your voice tells me to come out of the boat. Quit jumping out of the boat till you know it's Jesus telling you to. You'll save yourselves a lot, of, a lot of harm, a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow. 
best plan is to look to see where God is already at work in blessing and say, cool, I'm getting in on this. That's what God is. He, he wants people who are stepping into where he's already at work. See, when, when you're in a storm, when you're, when you're handling a crisis, an emotional crisis, a, a, a health crisis, you know, the safest place is not always in the boat. It, it's not always. It, it's the safest place until Jesus tells you to get out. But then in that moment, Peter realized the safest place on the planet in that moment was not this boat that I'm familiar with. I mean, here, th- this is a, you know, a, a guy who spent his whole life in a boat. On the sea, on that sea where storms come up. And he realizes, I want out of this boat, I want over there with Jesus. It's always safer where Jesus is. G- Peter wanted to be with Jesus. And I love the fact that Jesus says, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just uh, kind of imagine Jesus saying, Peter, Peter, you got to be kidding. You don't really want to do this, do you? It, it, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, come on down. Jump right, jump right in. And I, I believe something beautiful happened. I believe this pleased Jesus. I believe this just brought Jesus great joy that Peter is saying, I'll overcome my fear. I want to be with you. The Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think that Peter was very pleasing to Jesus in that moment. There's a great little book John Ortberg wrote. It's entitled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat. I would encourage you to do that. Friends, it's just true. If you ever want to walk on water, you have got to hear the voice of Jesus call you out and then go walk on water. So here's the question. Where do you need to walk on water in your life right now? Where in your life do you need to walk on water? Where has Jesus already said to you, go do this, get out of the boat? Where are there places in your life that you're struggling to, 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 to walk by faith and you're, you're kind of in a storm? Where's God already told you to do something and you're not doing it? I know some of you are saying, I know God's called me to start giving, start tithing, but I'm afraid. I, I, I don't know how that's, it's possible. God's saying, get out of the boat. God has called some of you to start bearing witness for him, sharing your faith with a coworker, and you're scared to death. But God's already told you to do it, and he's waiting on you to get out of the boat. He's waiting on you to take that step. Or maybe, maybe God's called you to forgive somebody, and you haven't done it yet. And God is saying, you got to trust me in this. I'm going to set you free, and I'm going to set them free, but you got to trust me. you, you got to forgive. What has God called you to do already that you are not doing yet? Friends, get out of the boat, because God has beckoned you. Jesus has called you. Get out of the boat. And then once you're out of the boat... You need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what you need to do if you're feeling overwhelmed. If you feel a wave coming, don't fix your eyes on anything else. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because you know this is what happened in in Peter's life. Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water. He came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Again, verse filled with so much stuff. Every time you start looking, friends, at your circumstances instead of your Savior, you're going to find yourself sinking. You're going to find yourself overwhelmed by the wind and the waves. Now, let me ask you a question. In that moment, had anything changed? Were the waves different? 
Was the wind different? Was Jesus different? Was Peter different? The only thing that had changed in his circumstances was where he focused his attention. He, he, he focused more on his circumstances than on Jesus. In one moment, he's walking on the water. The next minute, he's sinking beneath the water. See, th- the big issue here was the object of his focus. So here's the question. What are you focused on these days? Are you focused mostly on your circumstances? Are you focused mostly on your pain? Are, are you focused mostly on your struggle? Or are you focused most on Jesus? fourth thing that we do that Jesus tells his followers to do in a storm don't give in to doubt don't give in to doubt here's a good rule for doubt doubt your doubts believe your beliefs most of us doubt our beliefs and believe our doubts that's backwards thinking doubt your doubts first believe your beliefs believe what God's word Word says, that's, that's where we're supposed to go. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 31, it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand. He took hold of Peter, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? I think that's, that is one of Jesus' favorite nicknames for Peter. You, you little faith. Now, you might read that and think that Jesus was rebuking Peter. I do not believe it was a, a, a rebuke. I don't believe it was this harsh rebuke anyway, because what had Peter done that nobody else had done? He got out of the boat. He said, Jesus, I want to be where, where you are. Those other guys said, no, nah, I'll take my chances in the boat. Peter said, I want, it's safer out there with Jesus. And so he walks. No, notice that Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, you're no faith. He said, you're, you're, you're a man of little faith. The people with no faith, where were they? They were still in the boat. The only man there with faith that day, though it was little, was Peter. Now, what is this teaching us? Here's what I think it's teaching us. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, it only takes a little bit of faith to walk on water. As long as that faith is in me. As long as that faith is, as long as you're putting your trust in me, you don't have to have great, big, huge faith. We, he just proved it. Because Jesus, Peter had walked on the water, man. And Jesus said, you got a little faith. Well, the dude with little faith walks on water. The woman of little faith can, can walk on water as long as the focus of our faith, the object of our faith is Jesus. You just need faith in the right person. You need faith in a great big God even if you just got a little bit of faith. So if you're thinking, I'm one of those little faith people, praise God. You can walk on water. You can do the miraculous with with God. Here's the last thing that I want you to take away from this account um, that that you can do. Jesus is going to do his things. and Here's what we can do to respond to what Jesus does. And the last thing is this, be sure to give glory to God. Be sure to give glory to God right in the middle of your storm. Just in your storm. Even when you feel like the waves are coming, you're scared to death maybe. You praise him all the time. That will model courage. You you praise the Lord. You thank God that he's with you in the storm. We talked about this last week. You can worry or worship. You know, you can panic or, 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 or pray. You can live by fear or walk in faith. 
we get to choose. That we get to choose our response in these moments. Look back at what it said in, in, in verse 33. It said, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. If you go read Mark's version and, and, and John's uh, version of this uh, account, you will find both of them saying immediately. Immediately. Jesus hauls, you know, Peter's sinking behind out of the water, sticks him in the boat, and he gets into the boat with him. And poof, hurricane force winds die. Man, I would have loved to have been there to see that. Just, just love to have been there to see that. And the Bible tells us in verse 33, the only response that makes any sense there is to, to bow down and worship him, saying, truly, you're the son of God. Do you remember the, 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 the sign that was put on the Titanic? What kind of ship was this supposed to be? Unsinkable. It had been labeled the unsinkable ship. You know what the only unsinkable seagoing vessel is? It's the one that Jesus is in. That's the only unsinkable ship in life storms. Is the, is the boat that Jesus is in. That's the only one because when Jesus is in your boat, no matter what storms come, you're not going to be ultimately sunk. So here's the question. What storm are you facing? What's the storm you're facing? Why do you think God is allowing this to come? Because he's got a reason. And you need to ask that question, God, why are you letting this come? I want to know you in my storm. And it may simply be that God is wanting you to know that he is all you need. He will come to you in that, that, that ninth hour, that you know, that fourth watch of the night, that darkest moment, so that you'll know something about him. So that you will then come to see that our God is worthy of our worship. And he wants us to give him glory. No matter how dark your storm is, no matter how strong the winds are, no matter where, whether it feels like you're completely going to be overwhelmed, God is with you. I am is there and he is worthy of our praise. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to this moment. Really, a decision time. What will we do with what your word teaches us about you and our storms that we're facing? Now, God, we, we've just come through this storm called Ian, but Lord, there are so many other storms that people in this room are facing right now. And we need you. And so we want to come, God, faithful, knowing that you are going to be at work in this storm that we're in. Knowing that's who you are. And maybe you're here, and for the very first time, you've heard that there is a God who loves you, a God who sees you, a God who knows you, and a God who wants to rescue you out of your storm. His name is Jesus. And just like Peter, maybe what you need to do is cry out, Lord, save me. And the Bible says that anybody calls on the name of Jesus that way shall be saved. If you will call on his name believing, trusting that he is God, deciding that you're going to put your life in his hands, he'll save you just like he did Peter that day. And he will eventually calm your storm. And he will bring peace in your life if you will follow him. But most of us here today have already made that decision.
we've made that decision. There was that day we cried out to the Lord in our despair. And he heard our cry. And he saved us. And we just need to be reminded of that today. Because of the new storm that we're facing that has turned our attention away. Who has made us forget some of the realities that we knew. Or maybe there was something new that God needed to teach us by allowing this storm in our lives. That we can trust him. That he's there. That he will always come. And so we come, God, closing our time together to worship you, to give you the glory you deserve. To remember, you'll never abandon us in a storm. That you are you're our God who saves. You are the great I am. And so we come now to worship you, to give you glory, Lord. Jesus, receive our worship. It's in your name we pray.